Today's episode of Your Stories is sponsored by Overcast, a better podcast app than whatever you're using right now, unless you're using Overcast. Get Overcast for free on the App Store. Your Stories is a wonderful opportunity to share all the highs and lows of being a nerd. You know that hobby you have that you don't talk to anyone about? It's a secret you don't like to share because it might make you feel weird. Maybe you're into something different. Uh, comic books, fantasy football, push-ups. Your Stories, to me, has been this really kind and welcoming space where people just have the guts to be really honest and they share their voices and their stories with everyone there, no questions asked. Uh, I've heard stories about all those things. Uh, maybe not not a lot of push-ups. I maybe haven't heard a lot of stories about push-ups. The Nerdalogs is group therapy meets Toastmasters. I know there's always a place where my odd thoughts and unusual habits will be welcomed and championed in a warm, supportive environment by other nerds just like me. And what's fun is you'll see people in the audience one month, and then all of a sudden they uh, go up and tell their story. So your story becomes their story, and their story is your story, and then it's our story, and then it's a podcast, so it's everybody's story, and then you've shared it, and gosh, that's great, huh? And even if you don't think you're a nerd, you probably are. It's easily the most Midwestern thing I've ever been a part of. Hey everybody, Eric Garneau here, back with some more Retro Tour action on the Nerdalogs Presents Your Stories podcast. This week, we're continuing our month-long look back at our earliest road shows with this recording of the first ever time we went out to Los Angeles in early February 2015. Of course, LA is a city that has been very good to us in our history, and this was our first foray out there. About probably 40 people crammed into the lovely Dinosaur Coffee in Silver Lake for one of my favorite shows we've ever done, and over the next couple weeks, you'll find out why, as we hear from a handful of our favorite Los Angeles friends sharing some of the best stories ever on this podcast. But don't let me oversell it, just listen for yourself. And of course, all this touring action reminds me that we'll be hitting the road again for a date or two this summer, starting with Friday, June 15th in Ducoin, Illinois. Now, if you don't know where that is, it's very close to Carbondale, kind of close to St. Louis. This is a semi-private show, but if you're down south and want some information, message the Nerdalogs on Facebook, and we will send that your way. Uh, we also have some sweet Chicago stuff coming up soon, so make sure to keep watching our Facebook page for that. But for now, let's head back to three years ago in Randy Newman's favorite city. Uh, cool, so we always play songs that fit the theme of the night, and the theme tonight is Grind, because coffee, get it? Oh. Yeah! yeah. yeah so. LA, skate culture, it all works together. <laughs> yeah! Uh, so, do you want to introduce what we're doing? Yeah, uh, so we have a few uh, songs to fit the theme, as is our, as, as, as is our habit, um, and so I picked a few that have to do with specifically the workplace grind. Um, and this song kind of speaks to that, as well as being from a California band. That's true. Also, I need my harmonica. The number one thing I forget to do. <laughs> you guys are learning so much about our show already. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Song number one, over. Uh, here we go. Let me tell you about Choo Choo Train Left Right On Time. 
High school bands would play, except like yeah. people actually are here to see us. <laughs> Not us specifically, but you know. Um, well, so there's usually a third person up on stage who sings with us, and he couldn't come out to LA, unfortunately. Uh, uh, he is actually, uh, our friend Dwight has been to more consecutive episodes than I have. Wow. Even though I'm the host, I know, right? So, like, yeah. if you guys could all do me a favor and on the count of three say hi, Dwight, I'd really appreciate that. One, two, three. Hi, Dwight! Great. Thank you guys so much. Now on the count of three, say, Dwight, we miss you, but these guys are still okay. <laughs> One, two, three. Dwight, we miss you, but these guys are still okay. Oh my god, that was so insane for being such a bomb. <laughs> I'm very surprised at that. All right, now on the count of three, I want you all to say, by the power of Grayskull, I have the power. <laughs> Not really, I just said <laughs> All right, if you want to do it, we'll fucking do it. One, One two, two, three. three. By, By the, the power, power of Bristol, I have the power. That was all fun. right, that's all I want out of my life. <laughs> I'm gonna go Eric's home now. Uh, I have a. I, was, I thought of a story to intro this. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one of my first ever concerts that I went to was Green Day on their American Idiot tour. Um, and in a, in a, yeah, exactly. In a song where, uh, location was mentioned. I can't remember wh- which one, but Billy Joe Armstrong ch- changed it to Minnesota, which is where I was. I'm from Minnesota, yeah. And everyone in the huge, like, Excel Energy Center went insane. Because he said the name of the place we were. <laughs> so that's why I picked this song. <laughs> You'll know it when you hear it, guys. Two, three. Oh, crazy is what they think about me. Ain't gonna stop cause they tell me so. Is how fast that I like to go Can't keep up with my rhythm Though they keep trying Too quick for the lies they throw I walk to the sound of my own drum It goes, they go, we go Baby, if I stop, then I make the show. Can't keep up with. 
with my rhythm though they keep trying too quick for the lines they throw I walk to the sound of my own drum it goes they go we go tonight to share things with you. And there are some really, really fantastic people in the room, and I'm so happy you're all here. We like to start with people who are in the Nerdalog sketch group to kind of, I don't know, just set the mood, do it up first. So with that said, Mary Beth Smith. I don't know if I've ever been asked to set the mood with such a large group of people here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Uh... <clears throat> On July 26, 2014, at just after 2 a.m., my heart sank uh, because I was staring at a bus stop sign that I was certain I had locked my bike to four hours prior to that. I had been at The Annoyance, one of my favorite theaters in Chicago, seeing a good friend in a funny show on his birthday. I had only been there for four hours, and my locked bike had been stolen from a pretty busy intersection in Chicago. I was furious and sad and cursing at the sky and angry at myself for letting an object I could easily replace affect me so much. Uh, my boyfriend, my roommate, and the birthday boy were in an Uber on the way back to my apartment, so I had to call them in shambles, because it'd take me much longer to walk home than it would have to bike, and I didn't want them to worry when they beat me there. Uh, on the walk, I posted a Facebook status, more as a, a cautionary tale to my many friends in the comedy community to be careful about locking up in that specific place, but also as a shot in the dark at someone seeing my pilfered Raleigh men's road bike. But this is not a story about a stolen bike. It's weird. Uh, when I started riding a bike to commute, it was mostly out of necessity. I had brought a mountain bike that I'd had since seventh grade with me to Chicago, but I had always commuted via public transit to my job in the suburbs. Uh, I was pretty nervous to bike in the city, and I wasn't really spending much time in the city proper yet because I was working out there. Uh, once I got laid off after about two years of living in Chicago, I lost the need and the means for an unlimited CTA pass. Uh, I biked to comedy classes, to internships at the theaters that helped pay for those comedy classes, uh, to rehearsals and to shows all over the city on something meant for a 12-year-old making figure eights in a cul-de-sac. <laughs> It uh, it became a part of my hustle and my grind. It it became a part of all the cheap shit that I saddled and busied myself with because it was what I wanted to be doing, and I didn't have a job to stop me from doing any of it. Um, a lot of my friends and uh, improv teammates and such would give me shit for it. Like, I can't believe you're actually commuting on this. Um, but I eventually used the time spent living on my unemployed nest egg and riding a shitty bike to find a part-time job I liked that I could actually bike to. 
my comedy life stayed pretty busy, even though I had 30 less awake hours to spend doing it uh, per week. My bike became a really essential part of trying to make it to all the shows and rehearsals and other responsibilities that I already had created for myself, so I quickly upgraded to the men's road bike that had been just the right short height for me. It was probably destined to be a gift from a divorced dad to his tween son. <laughs> I mean, like, I've literally seen dudes buying bikes like that while I've been in my bike shop, and it's hilarious. Uh, but I snagged it from a great used bike shop. At that point, I knew the CTA was still there, but it just baffled me how I had ever used it as my main source of transportation. Biking gave me almost total control over how long it took me to get places, barring things like flats and bad weather, and is still an almost essential part of my lifestyle at this point a few years later. So often, the only time I get to myself is while I'm cranking down Halstead in the bike lane, listening to a podcast and thinking about whatever I'm en route to. It's my exercise, my ride, and my escape. My comedy career feels that way, too. Creative exercise, an unpredictable yet enjoyable ride, and an escape from the frustrating, energy-sucking minutia that is a day job. Recently, there have been a lot of tough winter days where I feel like I'm toiling at my paycheck-producing lab job only to run 30 minutes late to the shows and rehearsals I'd rather be doing anyway, stinking of the frustration and regret that is having to take a bus in Chicago during a snowstorm at rush hour. (laughs) I know a lot of that's to blame on Chicago's weather, too, but not having my bike available makes me feel stunted in a way that few other things can I thought I had many days like that ahead of me when my bike got stolen. Even though it would force a tight wallet for a bit, I could afford the 225 that it cost me to buy my bike used. It wasn't going to break me by any means, but it wasn't about the money. It was about having that vehicle that helps me manage my grind taken from me when it should have been safe. Why could I have done everything expected of a responsible bike owner and still experience a theft? It felt like a callback audition that leads to nothing, or a show that gets canceled because no tickets are sold. Easy things to kick yourself over, but that ultimately you don't have complete control of. I could have had a more expensive bike lock than the old U-lock with a broken key that still functionally worked, but was apparently easy to pick. But ask uh, Kevin Reeder how well that has worked out for him. I love you, Kevin. Uh, I could feel more fulfilled by the path I'm taking in the comedy community of Chicago or, or figure out another way to get butts and seats for things I'm a part of. But at the end of the day, all I have are the things I've secured. The years invested in artistic projects or teams that eventually cave but give one worlds of connections to people and experiential knowledge of performing and honing a comedic voice is still important. It felt similar to those comedy career setbacks, a kick in the pants but not insurmountable by any means. Hard to control when there are always elements of chaos. On July 26, 2014, at about 7.30 p.m., less than 24 hours after my bike was stolen, I got three calls in a row from an unknown number while in a show celebrating the lovely Claire Friedman. Uh, Also, no stranger to bike theft. Neither is Katie Johnston-Smith, the person sitting next to her, also in the nerdlogs. We've had a bad string of it. Fuck bike thieves, they're scum. <laughs> yes, thank you. They're t- terrible people. Sorry. Uh, just like ask me for $20 or something. Oh. Don't fucking steal my bike. Uh, as a fleeting thought, when the phone rang the third time during the show, I said to myself, it could be about my bike. I stepped out of the theater to take the call and was met by the voice of a fellow Chicago improviser who I knew well enough that we were Facebook friends and performed at the same theater uh, in Wrigleyville a lot. He said he thought he'd found my bike unlocked outside of an Einstein's bagel about a mile from where it had been stolen, then described it to a T and said it looked fine. I cried as he told me he was going to carry it into the theater he was about to do a show at so that I could get it later that night. This is not a story about a stolen bike. This is a story about a found bike. (laughs) About getting back to the grind. Thanks to some luck. Thanks to being a part of a community. And probably thanks to the general annoyance created by being a normal-sized bike thief trying to steal a bike meant for a prepubescent boy. (laughs) Thanks. Thank you, Mary Beth.
I feel like I should say it's not just bike thieves and Nerdalogs have trouble with. I think at three consecutive Sketchfests, we've lost three cars in the Nerdalogs, which is, yeah, that's right, Kev, right? Two, two of them are mine. Yeah, two are Kevin's. The worst that happened to me was on the fourth year. My my exhaust system broke. <laughs> Killing it, Kevin. <laughs> All right, guys. Coming up next to the stage, we have uh, a lot of people here are Chicago expats, which is really cool. I'm really excited about that. Uh, this fantastic speaker is a writer, storyteller, and actor. She, uh, you can find her at Nikki Nikki P on Twitter. This is Nikki Pierce. <laughs> Hi, hi, hi. Um, uh, yeah, so, hello. Um, there, we're going to hit it right now, all right? <laughs> um, there are several completely terrible things women tell you will definitely happen to you once you pe- become pregnant. Um, they tell you after you've already become pregnant. See, no one tells you these completely terrible things that will definitely happen to you before you're pregnant because the truth would be its own form of birth control. (laughs) One of these completely terrible things that will definitely happen to you is that while giving birth, you will shit yourself on the delivery table. (laughs) Legs spread wide in front of a man you've known for a year or, like me, about eight months because I didn't do what good moms do and interview OB doctors. I was assigned to one, like in court. (laughs) Not only is this old stranger sitting mere inches away from your special flower, which is completely unkempt because you can't see down there, much less drag a razor across it. No, your mother and the man that helped put you in this situation are there as well. And if you're a pushover, then his mother also has front row tickets to the big event. Because when you quietly voice that you weren't comfortable with your own mother seeing your birthing vagina, much less her, you are an unreasonable bitch. (laughs) This unreasonable bitch was in labor for 49 hours. I went in at 5.30 a.m. on a Tuesday and delivered a very beautiful, healthy baby girl at 6.44 a.m., on motherfucking Thursday. (laughs) I had just ice chips, Pitocin, and whatever good drugs they use in epidurals in my system. I did not shit myself that day. I was better than the prophecy set before me. (laughs) The wrath that followed my luck was a shitstorm. An honest-to-God, truest sense of the word shitstorm. Since that day, 13 years ago, I have shit my pants at least 27 times. (laughs) If you're thinking, "Eh, 27 times isn't that much over a 13-year period, shut the fuck up, it is. (laughs) Averaged out, it is just over two times per year, but it's not the quantity that matters. It's the raw shame and embarrassment you feel knowing it's happening yet again. It's almost like the birthing gods looked down, saw what didn't happen, something that apparently happens to every other woman in history who has delivered a baby, and decided, no, hell no. Everyone grabs shit-inducing wands. It's time to strike vengeance down. And vengeance they did strike. I have shit my pants in an elevator while touring with a crush, twice before shows, on a first date, on a third date, in my bed, en route to a bathroom at a concert, at an outdoor gathering with my family, in my pants and then into a kitchen sink because my brother wouldn't get out of the bathroom, in my pants and then into an emptied out shoebox because my landlord was replacing my toilet. (laughs) These are all true. While drunk at a party, while drunk at a bar, while drunkenly puking at a boy's apartment, hunched over the toilet, fighting back tears from my eyes that seem to be pleading, God, make one end stop. Just long enough that I can switch positions and puke into the CVS bag that he's utilizing as a trash can liner. Underwear no longer protected my delicate and precious female parts. It became a fabric that provided a necessary barrier between me and my jeans, or God forbid, a skirt at work twice. (laughs) What is wrong with me? Do I have a rare disease? Bad luck? 
some form of subconscious problem where I don't believe I deserve to shit in an actual toilet in a timely, proper fashion. I'm not afraid to go in public restrooms. I don't wait until the last minute. I don't eat laxatives. I don't have Crohn's, IBS, a prolapse rectum, anal fissures, fistulas, or abscesses. Dear God, what is wrong with me? For all any of us know, myself included, I'm shitting my pants right now. Oh, this teeny tiny problem inside my otherwise completely perfect and picturesque lifestyle isn't something I haven't tried to fix. I've taken measures to eat more complex carbohydrates, which take longer to break down and thus give you longer to find a restroom. I've cut out gluten and most processed foods from my diet, knowing that it only takes a bite or two before the depths of my tummy is grinding over and over against itself, then finally, finally turns to fire within its steps, like Smaug and the Hobbit. He and I are the same. I can't and won't have a few sips of beer, so if you're judging the woman that is gnawing on chicken wings and washing them down with a Malbec, maybe you're both assholes. It's not just her. If I could go back to that day, I would. I wouldn't take my my child, obviously. I wouldn't take back the 49 hours. I wouldn't even take back my mother-in-law. But if you find yourself on a baby table, terrified of the one thing so many women have warned you about, I hope you'll remember today and be reminded with the power of a thousand birthing gods of the completely terrible thing that will definitely happen to you if you do not. Before the show, someone was like, it is amazing the things people share on your stories. And guys, that's why your stories is great. Nikki, that was wonderful. Thank you. Coming up next, we have two speakers in one. Now, these next gentlemen were, uh, I met them, man, like 15 years ago in a sketch comedy group that my friend Jeremy told me was the funniest sketch group he had ever seen. Not to oversell you guys. Uh, I've seen them perform a ton of times. Uh, I used to own a comic book store, and they would perform in my back room a lot. Gee, a comedy club in the back room of a comic book store. Where the fuck is my TV deal, guys? I did it first. Anyway, uh, Chris Hardwick's cool though. Um, anyway, so these guys, uh, they moved out to LA a little bit ago. They are in a production company together right now uh, called the Castro Brothers Company. This is Pedro and Ramiro Castro. Oh, the name of the sketch group is Big Doggy Child, and they're great. Hey, everybody. Get these chairs out of here. <laughs> I need a little bit of space. So, should I go first? Go yeah, first? go first. I'll go first. Your, your gonna... story first. So when I talk about the grind, I'm going to talk about a story that happened to me about two and a half years ago. I'm in a building on Wilshire, an office building, and I'm in the bathroom, the men's bathroom, and I'm standing over the toilet, and I'm having a mental breakdown because I am faced with two choices. One, I'm going to tell my new boss that I'm going to miss the deadline and probably get fired. Or two, I'm going to quit because I felt like a fraud because I couldn't do this. So how did I get here? How did I get to this way? So we go back a week later. I'm in the car. I'm on my phone and I get the email and the email is, congratulations. We want, you know, we want to work with you. Your first, your first start is Monday. And it was a new gig of being a scissor reel editor at a production company. And I'm like, woo! <laughs> he was there. He I was driving. I, I had the window rolled down. And I was like, I got the job. And then it was like, the first thing we're going to do is that we're going to have In-N-Out Burger. You know? <laughs> it was like, yes. And I put on Facebook uh, a status. So I was like, I got the job. I'm, I'm a working professional in Hollywood. This is amazing. And I got 125 likes. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> it's a pretty big deal. Pretty big, it's a pretty big deal. And then um, there is this feeling that I hope everyone here can feel when you make the phone call to your mom and dad back in Chicago, and you're like, "Hey, mom. Hey, dad. I did it. I got the job." And this was like a phone call that I've probably been waiting my entire life, just being like. I got it. And, you know, you know, my brother is there too. And, you know, and I was telling him, we got it. And 
you know, and it was it was such an uh, awesome, proud moment for me because we moved out here. You know, we didn't have much money. True. It took, yeah. <laughs> it took us a year to, or not a year, it took us like a week to find a house. And it was just, you know, like miracle after miracle after miracle that, you know, that we were able to make it. So I was so pumped. So Monday comes, my first day, it's great. You know, I'm walking in the production company's office. It's like, you know, Hollywood, like nice, you know, everyone's in their flannels and typing away <laughs> and looking all important. And the Hollywood suit. Yeah, the Hollywood suit. <laughs> And I'm like, you know, I'm walking in here, and I'm like, ha I don't belong here. <laughs> um, so my first day, the, the boss, you know, tells me, like, okay, HGTV is going to do a house flipping show. Uh, you got until Friday to get it done. And here's the other editor to, you know, to show you how it's done and what we expect of you. And I was like, yeah, you know, great. You know, I've, I've done scissor reels before. And right. basically a scissor reel is a presentation to a network being like, here's this show. Here's these characters. You want to buy it? Great. Um, so I'm shown to what is expected of me in the first draft. And I see this and I see the graphics and the music and everything. And my soul like dimmed. <laughs> it sunk. Because that was something that you talk about a learning curve. This was a learning cliff. And they expected me to be on that level by Friday. And so after that Monday, I go back home and he sees me and I'm like losing my shit. Like, oh, I can't believe it. I don't know what I can do. I don't know. I was like, dude, what's wrong, man? You like, you didn't get in and out burger today or like, it's just like, oh, I just, I don't know. It's just, it's just so hard. So the third day, you know, I'm meeting up with another editor and and I show him what I got. And he's basically like, yeah, that's all wrong. You're not supposed to do it that way. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my God. Like, I've, I, I'm, you know, it's Wednesday. Yeah, I have until Friday. And I haven't told my bosses a thing. You know, they'll be like, oh, how's it going? I'm like, yeah, it's good. It's okay. It's great. You know. And so then we're then, you know. Back to the bathroom, where I'm about to, you know, lose my mind, and I'm like, you know what? I'd rather be fired than than to quit. So I went up to my boss and I told her, like, hey, you know what? I'm a little overwhelmed right now. There's so much footage here. There's so much things that I have to do. I can't do this on Friday. And I'm bracing the fact, like, okay, well, you're done. You know, I'm gonna let you go. But she was like, actually, thank you for telling that. You were being honest, and we'll give you another week. But since you are behind, you actually have to stay and go through the reel again and cut out all the best sound bites. And so at that Thursday night, I'm in a building in Wilshire in my office going through these bites, and I'm doing this with tears streaming down my eyes <laughs> because I was like, I'm failing. All those 125 likes... <laughs> weighing on you <laughs> weighing on me and it's like I'm I'm letting at least 125 people down <laughs> because I couldn't do it and so that weekend you know I'm, I'm calling my buddy Jason Martinez and I'm like hey you know I can't do this like I'm at you know I, I need to learn it I need to learn after effects like how you know and I'm at when I'm expecting sympathy but then he was like bro you just got to go do it. You just have to actually go in there, dig in deep, and get it done because this is a paid gig, and these don't come easy. And so I'm After Effects. I'm in there. I'm working through tonight. And then I finally animated my first text. And the text was, I can do this. <laughs> and that phrase has carried me the last two and a half years because every time that I go into a workplace, every time that I go into a new studio, I am terrified, just terrified, because I don't think I can do it. But I go in there, and I say, I can do this. I am doing this. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask for help. I'm going to get it done. And so three months have gone by, and I'm like, and I get my first real deal compliment, being like, hey, great job, Pedro. This is awesome. You, you followed all the notes. And that feeling was like Kratos taking down a sea serpent. Which is like... 
<laughs> it was awesome. And basically, after that, every like I couldn't be defeated any any uh, anything else. I was able to get this done because I don't want to sound like a camp counselor, but the difference between can't and can't. It's so easy to say can't. It's so hard to say can when you think you can't do it. It's so easy to, to do three pen strokes to put the apostrophe and the T on can't. But the difference between can and can't for me was that because I can do it, it made a difference from wishing the life that I, that I had, or wishing for the life that I have, to living the life that I want. The difference of me possibly going back home and doing something else in my life and me here with my brother and one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, I think eight, nine people that I'm familiar with now because you guys are my friends moving into a new city. And that has made all the difference. Thank you very much. That was so sweet, Pedro. <laughs> I'm always rooting for Pedro. Pedro's like, he always feels, you know, these are epic battles for him. And I'm sitting there playing video games. And I was like, dude, it's going to be cool. It's going to be fine. You know, it's gonna be, you know, he's just like, oh, and his head's about to explode. And I'm like, you can do it, bro. So it's really awesome to work with your brother. So we've been here about three years now. And right away when I came to L.A., as opposed to staying in Chicago, we're both from Chicago, I was like, I want to sell something. I don't want to just make it. I want to sell. I want money. <laughs> because, you know, it, money does things for you. Money's great. Money's great. You know, and I, I've, I've done comedy for free for so long in the back of Eric's comic book shop. For instance. We paid you like a few bucks. It, hey, it was in comic books, which I loved. I, it was way better than money. I was like, yes, I'm going to get like Sandman and Marvel 602. Yeah, dude, Civil War just came out. It was... Way better than money. I'm like, I'm, I made it. I was in my, I was in my twenties and I was like, I made it, you know, but as I get older, I was like, man, I kind of want to pay for a mortgage and comic books aren't acceptable tender for that. So I land in LA. I'm by myself. I'm here. I'm in grad school at the same time. I'm living in a, a Park La Brea, which is the weirdest little college campus in Los Angeles ever, ever, ever. Don't live there if you can help it. Please, please, please. I was having a roommate again, which I hadn't had in years. And I was like, I need to sell something. I need to sell anything. And I'm working for a couple of friends who I'm an intern with. And they're like, you know what? We know somebody. We love your video. What up, little kid? It's hilarious. They watch it. The guy's like, I want to meet with you. And I'm like, okay, I get to pitch something. I don't know what to do. So uh, I, I don't go to class anymore. I'm just I'm just sitting down writing down ideas. And I'm like, I don't know, pizza uh, ninjas. Pizza ninjas, that's great. You know, uh, maybe they'll have a friend that like that's a cat. And, and a buffalo shows up. I don't know. It was just like anything. I was just writing things down. And I show up and it's a dude who's two years younger than me. <laughs> and he's like, so I really like what up little kid. You. You swore in the video. It was funny. <laughs> I'm like, awesome. This is going to be great. So I told him about an idea that I came up with one of my friends called Mike and Andrew try to lose some weight. Uh, Andrew is a friend of mine. He's a fat comedian. Uh, he's not just that. He's so much more. He's really. <laughs> but at the time, he was fat. And he was like, Romero, I'm going to lose some weight. Okay, let's talk about pitches. And I was like, stop. That's the show. You're a comedian. You're losing weight. That's going to be funny. So I go in and I'm like, here's a pitch. Here's a pitch. Here's your pitch. Here's pizza ninjas, whatever. And they're like, and I'm like, ah, oh, my friend's trying to lose weight. He's fat. He's got a friend named Mike Bridenstine. And they're like, I like Mike Bridenstine. I know who he is. And I was like, oh, man, this is going to be crazy. And he, he calls me up later and he's like, yeah, we want to make that, Romero. We're going to make that show. So I'm in L.A. less than two weeks, and all of a sudden I sold the web series. And I don't know what to do. And I'm like, do I, do I stop going to school? I, I, do I stop paying these loans back? And, and you were Skyping like, with me and being like, oh, man, I don't know what to do. That's really great. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Pedro's head's exploding. And I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm making deals, and I'm making money finally, Mom. Like, uh, you know, and so, like, another email comes through, and my professor is like, hey, man, 
I have a special surprise for you. Bob Odenkirk is coming to our school in Chicago, and he wants to hear pitches. Do you want to pitch to Bob <laughs> Odenkirk? And I was like, I'm on a hot streak. <laughs> so, yeah, I want to pitch to Bob Odenkirk. This sounds like my dream come true. So I have two months to prepare, which is way too much time to prepare for something like this because I'm super in my head. I'm like, I'm going to make this great pitch with Bob Odenkirk and he's going to just stand up from his chair and clap like school clap and everyone's just going to laugh and I'm going to become famous instantly and trend on Twitter kid like pitches to Bob Odenkirk and becomes famous instantly (laughs) hashtag Ramiro is awesome I don't know what's you know and so it's way too much time to prepare I freak myself out I write a tome like a 25 page tome of the big doggy child sketch show I have all I have all this like Awesome, like, tools at my, you know, tool belt. And I walk in. I'm in a suit. Everyone is in a suit. Like, we're at a wedding. Which is... And Bob Odenkirk looks at us, and he's like, Hey, where are you guys going to? A wedding? And I'm like, No, you're funny. I love you. So, one by one, we give his pitch. I go last, which I think is going to be terrible. So... Someone pitches a show about a, a kid bearing a porno magazine and it grows into a whole city. He says, that is completely unsellable. <laughs> Rejected within a minute. And he's telling me this and I'm like, oh my God. Like, Another kid pitches a show and he's like, I want an all-female sketch comedy show. Do you have any female comedians? No. <laughs> like, that pitch is done. Uh, and then I'm, I'm there holding up my packet and I'm like, what do I say to him? <laughs> and I say, I want to make a sketch show with my funny friends. They're, they're amazing. Awesome. Let me just stop you right there. He says, I've heard that pitch literally a hundred times. You cannot lead that way. If you're funny, just be funny. Just, just, just do that. And he went on for the next like five to 10 minutes describing like how terrible my opening line was. <laughs> there my dad's in the audience all my friends are in the audience and i'm getting ripped apart by bob odenkirk like my hero and i'm just like oh i like breaking bad and mr show and and then i was you know i wanted to do a show within a show and he's like you know they don't make those really unless you're tina fey so you should work on being tina fey so you know i sat there and i called my professor and i was like i don't know what just happened but i just got the biggest no of my life and he said welcome <laughs> Welcome to being a writer. You're going to be told no so many times by so many people you care about that it's a huge test. And do you want to still do this? And I said, hell yeah, I do. You're going to be just fine, Romero. You're going to find another guy that's going to say yes, and you're going to, you're going to make something happen. So, you know, if you're ever going to pitch Bob Odenkirk, don't wear a suit. <laughs> be super casual. Have an easy idea. And don't be afraid if he says no, because it happens to us all. Thank you, Pedro Romero. Man, it is, it is awesome to see you guys out here. Uh, I think Bob was wrong on that one. A big doggy child show would have been super cool. If you guys are ever bored on YouTube, uh, Google Toby Jones, big ass, whatever. Truck rental and storage is a good one. Barbecue and foot massage is a good one. Uh, you'll enjoy those. Those are real fun. Alright guys, coming up next to the stage, uh, this next comedian, uh, hosts a show here called The Shit Show. The next one is on February 19th. She also does, so I don't know if you've ever done the, seen this like storytelling thing before, like I know it seems like super original what we're doing, but she does it too, so if you're like, I have to have more, you can go to the last book review show. This is Ever Maynard. Pants. Um, I feel. I feel like. I feel like. I look like I'm on meth. You know what? Like I like. I like looked in the mirror when I got here. I was like, "What is happening to me? Like my hair is growing out, and my face is breaking out. I'm wearing this jacket and these shorts." Um, have you guys ever been to Portland? This is it. Now you've been. Now you've all been to Portland. Uh, so my story is about meth. Just kidding. Um, no, seriously. Does anybody have any? Uh, kidding. Uh, does anybody want any? I'm just kidding. Um, I, I actually, I hate, I hate going to the doctors. Uh, I guess that's my, that's my grind. That's my going to work because it is a chore for me. Um, I, I always have really, really, really weird experiences, um, whenever I go to any type of doctor. Um, 
the first, I want to talk about the first time I ever got my pap smear. Ladies, let me hear it. Regulate. Okay, guys. You know, it's real, we're really unrepresented. Uh, I don't think you guys hear, hear it enough. Um, but I, I was 24, which is like super late to get a pap smear. Um, like, yeah, it's like all up in this house. You know what I mean? Like, rampant. Um, and, um, I, I just got health insurance and I lived in Chicago and I was like, okay, cool. I'm gonna, I'm gonna just go to the, the closest one because I don't, I don't, you know what I mean? It's just like, take off your clothes and then what? Like I had never been and I was like, they're gonna jam it up there and they're gonna be like, this is all wrong and then I'm gonna cry and then like, you know, your brain, one thing leads to another and you're like, eight and then, um, I'd never been. I didn't know. Um, so I Googled and the closest, um, Doctor to me was called Galilee Medical and Dental Center. Um, <laughs> which should have been like the first and only red flag. Like I should have been like, oh, definitely not that one. But in my mind, I was like, cool. <laughs> okay, a mile away. So I hopped on my bike and I rode there and, um, it's in a, it, the waiting room was like about this size and there were two desks, um, maybe from this window to the condiment bar. So not very far. Uh, one was for the medical center and the other was for the dental center. But the fun thing about Galilee Medical and Dental Center is that they did not have signs over their desks. Um, there's also only one receptionist and she was at the dental desk, but I walked over there. I was like, hi, I have an appointment. And she spoke broken English. She was Serbian. So she was like, what is your name? And I was like, oh, Maynard. And then she's like, no, 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 you must be for the medical side. And we have this weird exchange about like, okay, I guess I'll go to the other desk. And then I walk to the other desk and she's like, how can I help you? And I'm like, we just spoke. We just spoke. Just spoke. And then she was like, hey, have a seat. And then I did. Because uh, what are you going to, like, not sit down? Uh, okay. So I already, like, I already feel anxious, like, talking about this. Um, but I sat down for, like, an hour and just, like, waited and chilled out, you know, a lot of, like, a lot of families getting <laughs> teeth braces off, you know, um, talking to kids. And then finally my doctor comes in and she was like, come with me. And I'm like, okay. Um, and we go outside of the building and into a separate door for women only. And I was like, spotty! Um, <laughs> all right, <laughs> ladies only, no shoes. And um, <laughs> well, I, things start getting like really just scary as I'm walking down this hallway because all of the other patients' doors are open and they're in stirrups. <laughs> um, they're just chilling out. And I'm like, I guess, I guess, I guess this is, hello, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> me too. Uh, I guess this is what I'm going to do. And then I get there and um, my doctor is like, okay, take your clothes off. And I'm like starting. And she's like, not right now. And I was like, too late. You know what I mean? <laughs> aggressively undressing in front of her and um mid mid de-pantsing my doctor walks in and she took a look at me and then she looked in her chart and she asked me have you had the real sex (laughs) (laughs) a couple of ladies have had the real sex for me you know what i mean and i was like i'm sorry what like have I had the real sex? And then she, I was like kind of shocked and I was like, yeah, like I was like questioning my own sex life and I was like, yes. <laughs> Have I? And then she goes, you're wasting my time. And like, like slammed the folder shut and left. And I was like, what? <laughs> and then I was like, excuse me. And then my nurse, who was also the Serbian receptionist, <laughs> jumped for joy about this. She's like, that's great! That's great! And I was like, what? Like, get in there. I have a family history. Like, what do you mean that's great? Like, look around. She's like, Ever, you still have your Jaime. A man will want to break the Jaime from you. And I was like, what? You clearly don't understand that no man will ever be breaking this Jaime. Um, And I was like, no, I, I have, like, my mother has, like, problems. My grandmother, it's like a family history thing. And she's like, Ever, stop right there. 
until a man breaks your Jaime, you cannot get cancer. <laughs> and I was like, you're wrong. She was wrong. I was like, that's not right. And then, <laughs> that's wrong. Um, she's like, she, and then she gave me a lecture of what a pap smear is. And she told me, in order for pap smear, we go inside, we take a bite <laughs> out of your service. <laughs> and if you have your Jaime, we'll break your Jaime. And then what? And I was like, first of all, I broke my Jaime on the bike ride over here over a pothole. Like, <laughs> I still have my Jaime, which is pronounced Hymen. And, um, what about, like, STDs or, like, oral sex? And then she got, she, have you ever been mocked <laughs> by an idiot? Um, she looked at me and she goes, everybody know, nothing transmittable through oral. And I was like, everything is transmittable through oral. Um, and then she goes, what you want me to do? A blood test? <laughs> Nothing detectable by blood. And I was like, And then she left the room. And was and just like left me there and I was like is and then because the doors were all open I just shouted down the hallway I was like are we done and she was like come back tomorrow and get your guardy shot and I was like what's a guardy shot and then she's like she like kind of like scampered back in the room and she's like a guardy shot is Gardasil it helps you it helps you not to get HPV and I was like so you admit I could have but then you won't do it! <laughs> like, you won't. And then, uh, I did go back. Uh, <laughs> I did go back. <laughs> so, uh, I got my teeth whitened at the same time. <laughs> Thank you so much. That sounds, like, terrifying. Like, no one go to that place, please. <laughs> For the good of society. Uh, so before I introduce our next speaker, I want to say thank you to Katie Johnson-Smith, who's in the Nerdlog. She did a lot of the booking for tonight and got some wonderful guests, like ever, like Nikki, and also this next guest who, uh, was in the movie The Social Network. Maybe you heard of it. Yeah. Uh, she has a band called... No? You, okay, well, IMDb that. It's a pretty good movie. Uh, she has a band called The Mott Nouveau, uh, and she will be in a movie coming out called Bloodsucking Bastards. This is Emma Fitzpatrick. I wish I had like a poop or a vagina story, but alas. Um, when I was 16, I was flat chested, big bobblehead, even bigger perm, and it was like 2002, so that made no sense. Um, but nobody had told me yet that I was supposed to hate myself. I mean, all the, all the kids at school did, but my parents were like, you know, that I was wonderful and they encouraged me to do all the things that I was good at, like show choir and debate and straight A's. And believe it or not, the nail in my social coffin was when one of the hottest boys in the senior class took me to the prom. And it wasn't even like a carry situation. We were actually going steady. Because Tom was, um, he was a nerd too, but he was also like a badass and, and like a partier. So he had all this... He had all this social clout and this uh, street cred, if you will. He had a bunch of tattoos. My favorite one was, um, it was like full graffiti font on his leg, and it was his initials, which were TB. And I tried to <laughs> I tried to explain to him that that is shorthand for tuberculosis, but he was just so cool that he did not even give a shit. You know? <laughs> and he had like a mohawk and like the gauged earring holes and... Um, he did drugs. He was like, he was very cool. <laughs> and I was not. So in, in hindsight, I believe that it was this like scandal of a relationship mixed with my unprecedented confidence that I had somehow inherited at this young age. Um, and it, it ignited a flame in the hearts of 11th grade girls all across the land, especially at my high school. So it was like, 
in in 11th grade, high school became this war zone. You know, I was shoved into lockers and trash cans, and my life was threatened on a pretty regular basis, and I was loogied on at my junior prom. It was like the makings of an after school. No, don't feel bad. No, no, no. No, no, no. I'm awesome now. And, And I attribute a lot of this to... You know, the people that tormented me, it, it forced me to develop a sense of perspective and a deep empathy and this, like, shining personality. So, but these girls were bitches. And, uh, and most of them were cheerleaders, if you can believe that. So, what did I decide to do but mascot, naturally, um, for the championship game against our biggest rival? And because I couldn't think of anything more socially suicidal than sitting in an eagle costume on a bus for two and a half hours, surrounded by all the people whose greatest joy was making my life a total hell, you know. So it should be mentioned at this point that I had only been to like a handful of sporting um matches at this point in my (laughs) high school career. So I really just, I didn't have any clue how this was supposed to go. And before the game uh, even starts, the cheerleading coach is screaming at me and she's pointing at the opposing team sidelines furiously. And apparently there's like a cheer that the opposing squad does for the other team's fans to be, I don't know, to like be ridiculed or something. And so they're mid-cheer. And I start barreling across the field um, in in the biggest bird feet. They're they're too big, like size wise, and then they stand about thirteen inches off the front of each foot. And I'm assuming this was to balance out like the three foot beak that was hanging out in front of me. And I'm staring out a a little mesh black hole that's in the middle of the beak. And I'm looking down at this, like, blur of yellow that is my feet, trying to keep them from tangling in one another. And it's, like, at this moment that our squad goes rushing by me in the opposite direction. Um, so I'm, I miss the first cheer. And I'm off to a horrible start. I get back to our side. I'm wheezing. And I I tear off the bird head. And I I go up to the coach. And I just say, have you guys ever washed this thing? Like, it, it's, it smells so bad. I'm, it's like vomit and head sweat. And I can't, I can't breathe in here. And I'm thinking like, I'm, I'm saved here. Like game over for me. And she just, she doesn't even look at me. She takes the head. She just like unloads a half a can, half a can of Lysol into the bird head. She hands it back. I put it on and now it's, you know, it's vomit and sweat and Lysol and I'm suffocating and super high. And it's like at this moment that one of the cheerleaders starts, she starts, and everything's through this tiny mesh hole, you have to keep in mind. Like, I can't see anything. And she starts screaming at me, um, push-ups, push-ups, you idiot. We scored a touchdown. You have to do seven push-ups. I'm like, I don't even know if I can do seven push-ups not in a bird costume. (laughs) I get down in push-up position and immediately realize that, like, the length of my little arms is exactly the length of the beak. And I can't, I can't even, I can't even bend my elbows without the beak like digging into the dirt. So the coach just like rips me up off the ground and I'm like, I'm sorry. And, um, she just, she points me over to the student section. She's like, go rile up the crowd or something. I'm like, what does that mean? And so I, I waddle over to the student section and somebody must have tipped off the kids that I was the one in the suit and immediately I get over there and one of the like popular boys is shirtless and he's got like an A on his chest or something. He's just like, you suck, you know, before I even got a chance to rile them. So, and I did suck, but I was, I was trying, you know, and I didn't belong here anyway. And I don't know if it was like the heat or that I was super high, but I, in full bird regalia, I turned to like my student body and I flipped him the bird. Like, really, just like knowing that it was wasted on them, you know, like the humor of the situation. And then, and then like something magical happened and it's like the cheerleaders are all of a sudden in a circle around me. And they're chanting, it's time for the dirty bird. It's time for the dirty bird. I'm like, what's the dirty bird? Like, anyone help me. 
And this girl's just like, dance, you fucktard. Like, I'm like, I'm like, dance. Oh, well, I can, I mean, I can dance. I've been watching a lot of TRL. I can dance. And I start dropping it like it's hot and shaking my tail feather and like twerking before twerking was even a thing. And all of a sudden I look up and like the whole student section is laughing. But not at me. They're, like, laughing with me. And they're dancing and they're cheering. And it was as if with every birdie booty bounce, we were just, like, we were trading hate for love. <laughs> and I, I learned that day that you cannot, you cannot see color or creed through the, the beak of a, a bird, you know? And I only, I only mascotted this one game. I was subbing for my friend, but for whatever reason, I am immortalized for all time in the 2002 HHS yearbook on the spirit page, uh, in the bird costume with the, the head under one arm and like a rock on side, <laughs> just like smiling through the grind, you know? Awesome. Emma. Thank you so much. So, guys, there's a couple of really nerdy facts about me that, uh, of things I, I like more than any reasonable person should. And one of those things is uh, hair metal. I love hair metal. <laughs> we, are, we are in L.A., which is the... Uh, hair. We, which is the birthplace of hair metal, even though this next band is from New Jersey, technically. Whatever. They are an L.A. band. Uh, Skid Row had an album called Slave to the Grind in 1991. <laughs> it was the first metal album to go to number one on the SoundScan charts because it came out like the week SoundScan was introduced. Uh, <laughs> uh, it is an excellent record. Uh, much, much better than you would think Skid Row capable of. Uh, and I couldn't let this opportunity pass without doing a song from it. And when I sent Claire the email of songs I wanted to do, I'm like, you're really going to hate what I want to do. Uh, but I she, thought at first you wanted to do all Skid Row songs. Uh, I mean, I did at first. I yeah. didn't tell you that. <laughs> Just play the album front to back. <laughs> it's really good, guys. Um, so this is a song. This is a title track. New, new Strings. I know you're all enraptured right now. <laughs> it's called Sleep of the Grind. This is not how it sounded on the record, by the way. <laughs> Yes, 
I doubted him. I was wrong. It's <laughs> a lesson for y'all. Never date a Never doubt. Never, never date Eric. I know. Thanks. We said we were going to talk about that uh, on stage tonight. This has been a Nerdalogs production. For more on the Nerdalogs and our shows, please go to www.nerdalogs.com. Thank you all. Thank you all. I am GrabBot23548X.